Well, thank you, Dustin and worship team for leading us in worship through song. Let me welcome you again to Calvary. We're so glad that you're here. First-time guests, long-time visitors, members. Wherever you fall in those categories, we're really glad that you've joined us. My name is Adam. I serve as the pastor. And we're going to enter into a time of worship in the Word. Um, So we're going to be studying the book of Philemon. So we're doing a sermon series called Small Book, Mighty Message. So we're looking at the smallest books in the Bible. So we're going to study a whole book of the Bible in about the next 30 minutes. Um, And so, but you're going to need a Bible to do that. So if you want to use your phone, that's great. There should be a Bible somewhere in front of you if you are looking for one. The easiest way to find the book of Philemon is to start at the back of the Bible and flip to the left past Revelation, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John, 1st and 2nd Peter, and then Hebrews, and then Philemon. So hopefully you can find it, and, um, and there's always a table of content in the front if you want to cheat. That is, one, this is one of those circumstances where cheating is allowed. You can use the table of contents. We're going to be looking at the book of Philemon, and uh, hopefully when you came in, you were able to grab one of the bulletins, and the bulletin has the outline, so you have a bit of a roadmap of where we're going and can follow along. I'm going to read the book of Philemon for us, and then I will pray and we'll get into God's word together. So follow along with me as I read Philemon, starting in verse 1. Paul, a prisoner for Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our beloved fellow worker, and and Aphria, our sister, and Archippus, our fellow soldier, and the church in your house. Grace to you in peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayers, because I hear of your love and of your faith that you've had for towards the Lord Jesus and for all the saints. And I pray that the sharing of your faith may become effective for the full knowledge of every good thing that is in us for the sake of Christ. For I've derived much joy and comfort from your love my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet for love's sake I prefer to appeal to you. I, Paul, an old man, and now a prisoner also for Christ Jesus, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Formerly, he was useless to you, but now he is indeed useful to you and to me. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. I would would have been glad to keep him with me in order that he might serve me on your behalf during my imprisonment for the gospel, but I preferred to do nothing without your consent in order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord." For this, perhaps, is why he was parted from you for a while, that you might have him back forever. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother, especially to me. But how much more to you, both in the flesh and in the Lord? So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. If he has wronged you at all, or he owes you anything... Charge that to my account. I, Paul, write this with my own hand. 
I will repay it to say nothing of your owing me even for your own self. Yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. For I'm hoping that through your prayers, I will be graciously given to you. Epaphras, my fellow prisoner in Christ Jesus, sends greetings to you. And so do Mark, Aristarchus, Demas, and Luke, my fellow worker. The grace of the Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, you've preserved this book. You inspired this book. It is your word. And so, God, we submit under it to its authority, to your authority. But, God, teach us. Teach us by your Spirit. Teach us through my sermon, even, how you would want us to respond in obedience. We're here, Heavenly Father, to worship you. In the name of Jesus and by the power of your Spirit, we pray. Amen. Well, this week I finished the book Lonesome Dove by Larry McMurtry. Maybe you've read it, or maybe you watched the television miniseries starring Robert Duvall and Tommy Lee Jones. Tommy Lee Jones played Call, and Robert Duvall played Gus. And the book Lonesome Dove is a story that takes place in the mid to late 19th century. It's sort of a Western novel about these two guys and their friendship. But they're not similar guys. They're actually very different. Call is sort of a stoic, duty-bound character, and Gus is kind of a good-time-loving, Epicurean sort of character. But the point is that they're friends And they'll do anything for each other. In fact, I hope I don't ruin anything for you if you haven't read the book. But you've had almost 40 years to do it. It's been out for a while. At the end of Lonesome Dove, Gus dies. And as he's dying, he asks his friend Call to bury him in Texas. But they lived in Montana. And so Call agrees, as his his friend is dying... He agrees to take his friend's body all the way to Texas. Now that's friendship in the late 19th century, to take your friend's body all the way from Montana to Texas just to keep a promise to a friend. We love stories about friends, don't we? And even if you don't know Lonesome Dove, maybe you know um, Luke Skywalker and Han Solo. That's a friendship story too. Or Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Kid, or Harry and Ron. There are lots of stories about friends because God created us for friendship. God created us for friendship. And the desire for friendship is achieved through mutual faith in Christ. God created you for friendship. But that desire for friendship is only fulfilled in Christ Jesus. That's really the message of Philemon, this amazing book. It's written by Paul. Look at verse 1. Paul, who's a prisoner. He mentions being a prisoner in verse 1. He mentions it in verse 13. He mentions it in verse 23. 
Paul is in jail for the gospel. And he's writing to Philemon. Also verse 1. Notice it says to Philemon. There you go. The author is Paul. And he's writing to Philemon. And he's writing about someone called Onesimus. And Onesimus used to be a bondservant or slave to Philemon. But now Onesimus escaped or ran away or left and ended up in prison with Paul. And Paul led him to Christ. Look in verse 10. Paul says, I appeal to you for my child Onesimus, whose father I became in my imprisonment. Now, this is not a physical child. Onesimus isn't a physical child of Paul. Paul led Onesimus to Christ, and now Paul says, I am a spiritual father to Onesimus. And so Paul is writing Philemon and saying, receive Onesimus back. But don't receive him as a servant. Receive him as a brother. He's saying, receive him as you would a brother. Look in verse 17. So if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. And so this is a book about reconciliation. This is a book about forgiveness. But this is a book about friendship. Friendship. Godly relationships. Now, the title of the message is Refreshing relationships, refreshing relationships. And what I mean by refreshing relationships are relationships that are life-giving, where we encourage each other, we build each other up, we point each other to the Lord, and we experience grace and forgiveness. Relationships where you spend time with other people and you want to follow Jesus as a result of that relationship refreshing relationships. Now, how did I come up with that title? Am I just being creative? No. Look at verse 7. Look at verse 7, where Paul says, For I have derived much joy and comfort from your love, my brother, because the hearts of the saints have been refreshed through you. So Paul says to Philemon, You have refreshed me and the saints. That's what we want. We want relationships where we're refreshed, where we're built up, where we're encouraged, where there's life. That's what we want. And why do we want it? Because God created us to want it. God created us for community, and it's through our communities as Christians that we glorify God. Look at verse 20. Same idea, refreshment. Yes, my brother, verse 20, yes, brother, I want some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. That's pretty straightforward, right? Refresh my heart. And as a Christian, I would say to my friends, refresh my heart. Refresh my heart. This is what I want at Calvary. I want relationships God wants relationships where we refresh one another in the Lord. Refresh one another in the Lord. Onesimus, 
is to be received by Philemon as a brother. Look at verse 16. No longer as a bondservant, but more than a bondservant, as a beloved brother. This is very important to us that we understand that Christ defines our relationship with one another. Paul says to Philemon, you used to have a master-slave or master-bondservant relationship, but now that he's come to Christ, you have a brother relationship. Christ redefines our relationships. Receive him as you would a brother. Now notice that Paul could command Philemon to do what he wants. Look at verse 8. Look at verse 8. Paul, remember, Paul's an apostle. Paul has the authority of Christ to tell Philemon what to do. But look what he does in verse 8. He says, Accordingly, though I am bold enough in Christ to command you to do what is required, yet, look at verse 9, for love's sake I appeal to you. Look at verse 10, I appeal to you. Look at verse 12. I'm sending him back to you, sending my very heart. Paul loves Onesimus. Paul loves Philemon. And he wants these men to love each other. And Paul could command it. But he would rather they obey from a heart of love. Now that seems important, doesn't it? God wants our obedience But God doesn't want our obedience out of compulsion. God wants our obedience out of love. Now, don't misunderstand what I'm saying. Obedience is better than disobedience. But obedience is best when we do it out of a love for God and a love for each other. So here's the point. As we talk about refreshing relationships this morning, the point isn't that you go and make a friend with somebody because you have to. The point is that you become a refreshing friend to someone because you love Jesus and you're loved by Jesus and the love of Christ compels you to see people not from a worldly point of view but from a Christ-centered point of view. You see, before they became Christians, Philemon saw Onesimus from a worldly point of view. But in Christ, Paul says, see him from a Christ-centered point of view. Let me read one other verse. In 2 Corinthians 5.16, you can just jot this down. Paul says, from now on, therefore, we regard no one according to the flesh, even though we once regarded Christ according to the flesh, we regard him no longer. The world wants us to see one another according to worldly categories. And when we see each other according to worldly categories, we become divided. That's the world you live in. A world where people see each other according to worldly categories and are divided as the result of it. But Christ calls us to see each other through the lens of his redemptive love and our new family of Christ. So we see each other according to Christ and the unity of Christ, and we are drawn together, we are united. 
And so Paul says, this is what it means to have refreshing relationships. Refreshing relationships. What would be the opposite of a refreshing relationship? Maybe a draining relationship. Have you ever had a draining relationship? You don't walk away feeling refreshed. You walk away feeling torn down, beat down, discouraged, drained. And I know that all of us are thinking of someone else. But perhaps all of us have also been that to someone. And so the question before us is, how do we grow as Christians to be better friends to one another as Paul was to Philemon, as Onesimus was to Paul, and as Philemon and Paul, or Philemon and Onesimus are meant to be to each other. These two people from a worldly perspective should be enemies, but Paul says, actually, your brothers. How do we live that out? Well, four things, and it's there in the outline, four things, Godly affection, mutual comfort, willing friendship, and gracious hope. First, godly affection. If we want refreshing relationships, we need godly affection. Look at verse 4. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayer. I thank my God always when I remember you in my prayer. And he talks about their love for each other. He talks about his heart for them Paul has godly affection. Maybe you were raised in a home without much affection. But as a Christian, God wants us to have affection for each other. Not worldly affection, godly affection. Now it's important to note, this, this, might, seem a little, this might seem a little specific, but notice that Paul is writing with other people. He talks about people that are with him. And oftentimes when Paul writes a letter like this, he speaks in the plural we, but notice he says in verse 4, I thank God always when I remember you in my prayer. He doesn't say we, he says me. So Paul is talking about his own affection for this brother. Jonathan Edwards writes a book called Religious Affections, Religious affections. And in this book, he says, friendship between earthly friends consists in much affection. And so as Christians, God wants us to have affection for each other. He doesn't want us to just do certain things. He wants us to feel affection for each other. He wants us to love one another. In fact, there's an important verse where Jesus talks about this. And we'll only flip to one passage, but if you would, flip in your Bible over to the Gospel of John, chapter 15. John 15. John 15, verse 12. John 15, verse 12. Jesus is talking about being the vine, and the disciples are the branches. And he's about to talk about how the world's going to hate us. But he takes a few verses to talk about how in a world where we're hated, how should we be towards one another? And this has everything to do with friendship. Look at verse 12 of John 15. This is my commandment, that you love one another as I have loved you. 
And then look at verse 13. Greater love has no one than this, that someone lay down his life for his friends. You are my friends if you do what I commanded you. No longer do I call you servants, for the servant does not know what his master is doing, but I have called you friends. For all that I have heard from my father, I have made known to you. Jesus wants us to love one another as he has loved us. And he says, I've loved you by calling you my friends. Well, it's been put this way. Friend is another word for love. Friend is another word for love. These are not casual relationships. These are affectionate relationships where we are bound together by Christ. Now, why is that important? Have you ever made friends over a hobby or over a shared experience? Maybe you go off to college and you make friends at college, but then you leave college and those friendships tend to lose some steam. Or you make friends at the, at the Little League baseball field because your kids are in the team together and you become good friends, but then your kids grow up and stop being blaze, playing baseball and the friendships tend to lose a little bit of steam. Part of the problem with our friendships is they are made around temporary things. But Jesus says, if you make friendships where I am at the center, you're making eternal friendships. Eternal friendships. Back in Philemon, back in Philemon, this is exactly what Paul wants for Philemon and Onesimus. He wants them to have an eternal relationship where Christ is at the center. Look at verse 15 of Philemon. Philemon 15. For this perhaps is why he was parted for you from a while, that you might have him back forever. Now that's interesting, isn't it? What kind of friendship lasts forever? Only one kind of friendship. The only friendship that lasts forever is the friendship you make where it is centered around Jesus Christ and the bond is your mutual affection for Jesus because that's a relationship that even when the kids grow up, it doesn't go away. And even when you graduate from college, it doesn't go away. And when you leave the little league field, it doesn't go away. And when you change jobs, it doesn't go away. The only friendships that last forever are the friendships where Christ is the glue. Godly affection. Number two, mutual comfort. Mutual comfort. Look at verse 7. Paul says, the saints have been refreshed through you. And then in verse 20, Paul says, I want to be of some benefit to you. I want benefit from you, and I have been blessed by you. This is the same word in both. It means it means to be refreshed or encouraged. Have you ever seen one of these races where the people are running by and somebody's handing out water? I won't ask if you've been in one of those races, but you've at least seen one of these races where the runners are running by and somebody at an aid station is handing out water or goo packets or whatever it is that they're using. Something is being given to refresh to encourage. What does that mean? To keep them going. Paul says, you kept me going and I kept you going. 
And that's what Christ wants for us. Relationships where we share our faith and are mutually encouraged. Mutually encouraged. Now, if I say the names Jerry, George, Elaine, and Kramer, will you know who I'm talking about? Okay, well, so if you don't, you are far more spiritual than the rest of us. But Jerry and Elaine and George and Kramer, Kramer lives across the hall from Jerry, and he only comes over when he needs something. He comes over because he wants to borrow a jacket or some milk or whatever he can find in the fridge. And we've all had a Kramer-like relationship in our life who only comes over to take. We have a word for him in our culture, freeloaders. Paul is saying Christian friendship isn't freeloading. You don't just take. It's mutual. You take and you give. There are days when you're needy, but then there are days when you pour in. It is mutually beneficial. There's godly affection and mutual benefit. You can write down Psalm 84. Don't read it now. Don't turn there now. But in Psalm 84, the psalmist says, We are like people going through the valley of Baca. And the valley of Baca was a valley of weeping. But then the psalmist says, as we go through the valley of Baca, we make it a place of springs. We go from strength to strength. We're, va- we're journeying through a valley of mourning, but as God's people, God strengthens us to turn the place of mourning into a place of life. And that's a Christian friend. They show up in the desert and they bring a little bit of water. They make a place of mourning into a place of refreshing. So this is what God created you for. And if you're here today thinking, I want that, that's because God created you for that. And where do we find it? We find it in each other. We find it in each other. We are to bear each other's burdens. Galatians 6.2 says, carry one another's burdens. You are here this morning, and I know something about you, and I'm not a mind reader, and I have no secret knowledge, but you are burdened. And I know you're burdened because you're human, and I'm burdened too. And if you're not carrying one another's burdens, then you become overburdened. But the Bible says that it's our relationships with one another in Christ where we get help carrying our burdens. Someone to pray for you about what you're going through. Someone to show up when you need some assistance. Mutual encouragement. Number three, willing fellowship. Willing fellowship. Look at verse 14 of Philemon. In order that your goodness might not be by compulsion, but of your own accord. By your own accord. And so this is important. As I said earlier, Christianity is not about coercion. It's about affection. Christianity is not about God twisting your arm behind your back. It's about God creating in you a hunger and a thirst for righteousness. 
And you go to God like you go to the fridge for water when you're thirsty because you want to. And as Christian friends, we gather together for mutual encouragement, not because we have to, but because we want to. Willing friendship. Look at verse 17. Paul says to Philemon, if you consider me your partner, receive him as you would receive me. Again, I'm not telling you you have to do it. I'm urging you to want to do it. The body of Christ is filled with forgiveness and voluntary mercy. Willing forgiveness and voluntary mercy. What is Paul asking for? He's saying, Philemon, show Onesimus grace. Now, why can Philemon show Onesimus grace? Because Philemon has received grace. And how can Paul show grace? Because Paul received grace. And see, as Christian friends, we can show and receive from one another what we will never receive in the world. We will never receive grace in the world. We will only receive karma in the world. What's karma? Karma is getting what other people think you deserve. Karma is getting what you deserve. Grace is getting what you don't deserve. The Bible says that the good news of Jesus Christ is that we're forgiven, not because of anything we've done. It's not karma, it's grace. The world operates on karma. As Christians, we've learned grace from our heavenly master. And so we can show each other grace. And so maybe you've been burned on friendships where, where you were treated harshly by others, and so maybe you're timid about friendship, but as Christians, there's a new way of doing friendship that we learn not from the world, but from Christ himself. We learn mercy. We learn grace. Willing fellowship. Paul says Onesimus is going to be coming and I want you to receive him as you would me. Now that word to receive is very important. Have you ever had somebody come to your house and maybe they're friends, but you're not particularly close and you know they're supposed to show up and you wait for them to ring the doorbell or knock on the door? You know that kind of friend? You stay in the house and you wait for them to ring or knock. But then there's that other category of people where you know they're coming over and you find yourself out in front of the house waiting for them. You can't wait for them to get there. You're looking for their car. You're looking through the blinds. Are they here yet? Are they here yet? I remember when I was, I was a younger man and my kids were younger and I would come home from work and my kids would run down the street because they knew dad was coming home. Now they got to be teenagers. They don't do that anymore. But Paul is saying, as Christians, we don't wait inside for the doorbell to ring. We run out to the street, and we can't wait to see each other. It's a willing affection that is mutually exchanged. Number four, gracious hope. Gracious hope. Refreshing relationships should be filled with gracious hope. Look at verse 12. I am sending Onesimus back to you, sending my very heart. And then in verse 21, confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more than I say. At the same time, prepare a guest room for me. Now, where's Paul? 
He's in prison. Is he, is he expecting to get out? He's hopeful. Paul's writing a letter to Philemon. He says, I'm sending Onesimus. You could treat him harshly, but I'm urging you to treat him as a brother. Does he know how it's going to turn out? No, but he's hopeful. You see, in life, eventually, you get to a certain age where you've been burned enough, and you just sort of distance yourself. You become cold, you become isolated, and you kind of lose hope in the idea of friendship. And Paul is saying, in Christ, you better stay hopeful. You better believe that God has new people for you to meet, new people to refresh you, new people for you to refresh. Your days of being a friend are not over, my friend. Matter of fact, this is the witness of the world. Christ says in the world there are enemies, there are wolves, there is death and destruction and karma, but in the church is life and forgiveness and grace and friendship and people want friendship and they can't find it out there because apart from Christ there is no true lasting grace-filled friendship and you know the statistics people are lonelier now than they have ever been probably in the history of humanity we are, more cape, we are more connected and also more lonely. Did you know that Japan and the, the, the UK have ministers of loneliness? They literally pay people to solve the problem of loneliness. What Jesus is saying is that society doesn't need a minister of loneliness. It needs churches with the ministry of friendship. We need to offer the world something they can't find anywhere else, which is real friendship filled with grace through the bond of Christ, refreshing relationships that are loving and filled with grace. I mentioned this last Sunday, but read 1 Corinthians 13. You want to know what love is? Read 1 Corinthians 13. Love is patient and kind, and it doesn't boast, and it doesn't keep a record of wrongs. Let's stop there for a minute. Jesus wants us to have friendships where we take our record of wrongs and we burn it. Has Christ kept a record of wrongs for you? Would you want God to keep a record of wrongs for you? No. Matter of fact, you're here this morning hoping and believing that in Christ, our list of wrongs, our record of wrongs has been torn up and destroyed and doesn't exist in the mind of God anymore. So when we turn towards each other, why do we then pull out a pad and a pen and start writing stuff down? So Paul says, Philemon, you could pull out a pad and a pen and Start listing some wrongs. I could do that with you, brother, but I won't because Christ hasn't done that with us. Let's get rid of that and let's receive each other as Christ has received us. And listen, what's going to draw people to Calvary? It's not any of the stuff churches spend a lot of time thinking about. It's really not. It's really not the color of the carpet. It's really not the sign out front. It's really not even the ability of the speaker at the front of the stage. It's none of those things. It's our Savior, and it's the relationships we experience when we come to him as our Lord and Savior. That's, that's what people are hungry for. So let me give you a few points of application. Very applicable things. Number one, be a friend. Be a friend. 
The best way to make a friend is to be a friend. Be a friend. You see somebody that doesn't have anyone talking to them? Talk to them. Well, that requires me to go out of my comfort zone. Exactly. Remember how Jesus left heaven to come to earth and take on the flesh and deal with all of our shortcomings and sufferings to reach us? Right. That's the model of friendship. What Jesus did for us, that's what it means to be a friend. It means to leave your comfort and inconvenience yourself and even suffer a little bit because you love someone enough to go after them. So make a friend. Number two, Bring gospel conversation into your friendship. If all we do is talk like the world, then what are we doing that's different? If all you do is ask me, so what do you do for a living? An interesting car. I see it's a Honda. Interesting. You know, I read something about That's good, okay? We, that's good. We should talk about our jobs and we should talk about our interests and our hobbies. But we need to talk about the Lord in our relationships. Here's some good questions you can ask one another. How did you become a Christian? That's a great icebreaker. How did you become a Christian? Here's another great question. What is God teaching you lately? What have you been reading in the Bible that God is teaching you lately? And all of a sudden, you turn the relationship, you turn the conversation from temporary things to eternal things. Keep in mind, your relationships with Christians are eternal relationships. So your conversation should have something to do with eternal things. Share your testimony. So in closing, I just want to remind us of something that Charles Spurgeon pointed out. Back in 1870, Charles Spurgeon preached Philemon. And when he preached this passage in London, he made an observation that is so true. He said that Philemon used to be a master to Onesimus, who was a slave but Paul says Onesimus is now a brother in a brother and no longer a no longer a slave. And he made the point that Onesimus's story is our story. We wronged our master. We ran away. We are forgiven and we are received back no longer as slaves but as brothers. The story of Onesimus is your story. And it's the story that the world will hear nowhere else than in the pages of Scripture and will see nowhere else than in the lives of Christians. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ran from you and you came after us and you captured us and you changed us and we belong to you but we don't just belong to you. We belong to each other. Lord, change the way we see each other. Help us to see each other as brothers and sisters. Help us to talk about Jesus, our Savior. Help us to love each other unconditionally. Lord, I pray if there's any unforgiveness in any heart here this morning that you'd bring it to the surface right now and that you would... Grant them by your spirit the ability to forgive, not as the world forgives, but forgive as you've forgiven us, as far as the east is from the rest, no longer to be remembered. So, Father, I pray that you would fill our fellowship with friendship, which is just another word for love. In Christ's name we pray. Amen.